0: As we kick off and get ready to go, I want to say two things. Number one, we got a long way to go in a very short time to get there. <clears throat> so bear with me, grant me grace, and, and we will chew through this together. But, but number two, um, maybe to set our minds focused, we crave limelight moments in life. The, the buzzer beater moments. Limelight and buzzer beater. Um, every time I hear somebody sing the anthem, I'm wondering, are they going to hit that high note? That's the moment, like that's your moment to shine. And uh, this is just free, free tidbit. This doesn't cost you anything. Uh, nobody will ever beat Whitney Houston's version of the anthem. It's just, she, nobody will beat Whitney. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> nobody will beat Whitney Houston's version. But that moment, that one moment, like we crave that moment. Are they going to hit it, or or are they going to miss it? If if you grew up ever having shot backyard basketball, you have played this game. Three, two, one, one, shot, right? And then if you miss it, you obviously, what happened? You got fouled. It wasn't your fault, you get another shot. You know, we, we crave those limelight moments. Will we hit them? Will we make them? Will we miss them? Um, well, today, um, it's the biggest moment in a guy named Zacchaeus'... Zacchaeus? Wrong guy. Zachariah's life. That's going to be a rough day when I'm already going to Zacchaeus. <laughs> um, it's the biggest moment in Zachariah's life. And, and we're going to be asking the question, is he going to miss it or is he not? Let me give you a recap and then we'll pray. Um, Luke is writing this orderly account, the single most orderly investigated and detailed account of Christ's life in all of the Bible. Um, the rest of the Gospels match in no way the the account of de- the amount of detail that Luke put into this writing. Um, he's writing to a guy named Theophilus, who, again, I would argue is Paul's lawyer. That's a whole other story for another day. doesn't matter. But the point is he's writing this orderly account so that you, you and me, we can be certain that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the promised Messiah to come to inaugurate the plan of salvation and regeneration. We can be certain of that. That's why he's writing this book. And again, it's going to involve this guy named Zechariah. And will he miss the moment? Will he miss the shot? Um, Will he let it slip? Um, Or will he nail it? Let's pray together and let's jump in the text. So Jesus, we know that this book was written so that we can have certainty of Christ. That's that's for sure. We, We get that. But there's so many details and and life applications that come out of it, and that's what I pray, that you would speak beyond the voice of mortal man, that you would speak beyond song, that you would take your text and illuminate it um, and and speak deep within our hearts. God, that you would change us today, um, make us more like you and more in love with you. Uh, It's in your precious name I pray. Amen. Be seated. (laughs) Well, in terms of orderly account, I want to throw a graph on the screen. And again, at Safe Haven, if you're new here, and, and the church is experiencing a lot of growth and a lot of new people, and so I want to say this to you, if, if you're here, number one, we do welcome you, and we're, we're glad that you're here. Number two, you can use your phone at Safe Haven anytime you want, um, to take pictures or whatever, so <clears throat> this is going to be one of those moments, let me give you, an, <laughs> there's a lot there. Um, this is... One of the cool things about Luke, again, I've told you, and he told us, that he wrote an orderly account, a systematic account, a very detailed account of the life of Christ. <clears throat> and, and this is the pattern. This is what's going on, big picture overview, in the first two chapters. This is how orderly Luke is in his details. And so what the next two weeks are going to look like us going through this in, in, in a different way. But um, you've got the announcement of John... the the child John, John the Baptist, to Zachariah. That's announced to him. Following that, Luke is then going to take us straight to the announcement of Jesus' birth to Mary. After that, Mary and Elizabeth are going to meet. And so this is how it flows through chapter 1. Mary and Elizabeth get together. Uh, They are going to have the first charismatic worship service. Um, There's babies leaping. There is singing going on. There's all kind of stuff happening. They've got holy hankies. Um, so, they got, they got a runner. I'm sure they got a runner at this event. Um, sweat towels, everything. It's, it's, it's going to be a neat one as we go through that. So, announcement to John. Announcement to Zachariah about his child John. Announcement to Mary about Jesus. The two get together. They have this service. Then, Luke is then going to jump to the birth of John. And Zachariah is going to burst out in song. And then right after that, we're going to have the birth of Jesus. The shepherd and angels are going to burst out in song. All of this to convince Theophilus and us that Jesus was indeed nothing less than the sovereignty of God on display. It, it, that's the whole point. Now, the cool thing that's going on through this is not only is it linear in concept, and not only does it bounce back and forth and then bring it all together, but this, there's some likenesses and some contrasts. Some likenesses, both of these children are going to be announced in advance. Both of them are going to be told, foretold by the angel Gabriel, Um, And if you've studied the Bible, there's only two angels ever mentioned in the Bible. One, a fallen angel, would make a third, being Satan. Uh, But only two, Michael and Gabriel. This is the account where this is is told to us. Um, Both were indeed miraculous births. Both would fulfill God's plan of redemption. And both are given names by God. So one would think in the day it would become Zechariah Jr., which is what they're going to think in this day. But no, his name was supposed to be John. There's a whole lot going on with that. So... There's some similarities, but there's also some contrast. Again, remember, Luke has a purpose. And it's not just a history lesson. There is a purpose behind what he's doing. So both are similar, but also there's some distinct. One was born naturally of woman. Um, You've got Elizabeth and Zechariah who make a baby, okay? Um, And then one is divine, of a virgin. So he's saying, listen, there's something distinct about this one. One would prepare the way, one would be the way, and then one would have the name above all other names. And so he's setting Theophilus up, who would be, again, if he's a lawyer, it would be hard for him to wrap his brain around a human being divine. And that was his whole point. I'm telling you, from the get-go, before Jesus all of it was miraculous, and so he's setting him up for this certainty. Does that make sense? It's pretty cool. So this is what's going on through the text, and we're going to go through a portion of that today. Uh, so Luke does have pattern and does have purpose, and as I said last week, if you are OCD, you love this brother, don't you? You love him. Like, that's so pretty to you, and then if you're not OCD, you're like, let's get on to something else, you know, squirrel, right? So, <clears throat> so here we go. So again, Luke is convincing Theophilus about this promised one to come. <clears throat> and I, and I want to maybe say a note of why he's doing this. If you were to ask the question, how did Troy's birth come about? Well, the answer would be something like this. Well, Charlie and Cindy had a vacation to the beach. That's, and that's how Troy came about. If you were to ask the question... How did Jesus' life come about? It would be something like this. How many hours you got? Let's sit down because we need to have a miracle story. Now, which one of those two questions would be the easiest to believe? How Troy came about or how Jesus came about? How Troy came about. You would go, well, yeah, that's how everybody comes about. And that's his whole point is he's taking time. No other gospel writer does this. None. None. To set aside and say, hey, look, from the beginning, let's walk back. This is how important this birth was. And so he's given this investigated, uh, recorded accounts that he's interviewed Elizabeth. He's he's had all these things to write it down so that we may believe. So with that said, church family, we are off and running. Verse 5. In the days of Herod king of Judah. Now this sets the stage. This dude was quite the piece of work. You've heard the phrase that there's a fine line between genius and insanity. This is who this guy is. So this would have been Herod the Great. If if you've heard of Herods, there's a Herod the Great and there's a Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is going to be the one that ultimately kills Christ. Herod the Great is the one who begins, this guy's going to die in about 4 BC. But he was called Herod the Great because he pulled off some pretty incredible stuff. Like if you have an engineering mind, this is your guy. He rebuilt the temple in full. That's pretty great. He was over the Roman copper mines. He raised a... Ton of money for Rome, which is why they loved him and why they gave him the name King of the Jews. Now, Jesus ultimately is going to get the name King of the Jews, mocking him. King of the Jews actually was mocking Herod, but he was so um, sinister and, and so insecure that he took it. He owned it, but he was just a puppet king because Caesar was the real ruler. So he was just kind of under, he was just a puppet king. But here's some of the things he did other than copper mines and all this kind of stuff. He was the president of the Olympic Games. I mean, this was the dude, okay? He built palaces. He built all these structures. He, he would have been a, a kind of the inventor of, or maybe not the inventor because Rome invented it, but he was the one who really mastered the use of quick crete. Now, why would I say that? He built these giant blocks. You've got the Mediterranean Sea. And I'm sure you, you can kind of picture the Mediterranean Sea in your mind. The Mediterranean Sea was, was Caesarea, was kind of where he lived, and built this palace. And so he made these big giant blocks. Each one of the blocks had his name stamped on it because he was so crazy and such a narcissist. And he took these blocks and he built a port in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. He built his own seawalls so that ships could come in and out to raise more money for him and for Rome. He was a mastermind. Not only that, and I just think this part of it is pretty cool and it's true. You can go look at it. He had his palace that overlooked this port. And then he took those rocks and he built a wall, a seawall, to build his own private pool. He built the first infinity pool. This pool sat right at the edge of the ocean, but with his blocks, he blocked the Mediterranean Sea from coming in. So you would go, oh, well, he also had the first saltwater pool. No, this dude pumped it out, made his own drywall, went up into the hills, built an aqueduct system to pump fresh water into his pool at his palace that sat right next to the Mediterranean Sea. That's a pretty smart cat, right? Yeah. I mouth, I'd be out there I'd dig a mud pit. You know, people would be like, Why did you dig a mud pit? I was well, it's really a pool. You know, this he built a pool, and it still remains to this day. Like right now, you're like, Troy, that that, that can't be true. Google it. You can use your phone. Look at it, I'm telling you. This cat built a pool um, that was fresh water. So this is who he's he's pretty great, but he is a royal nut job. In the truest sense of nut job. And, and so he was an Edomite. Interestingly, so for everyone who went through the book of Genesis with us two years ago, you remember Jacob and Esau? And Esau was then cursed, and he became the Edomites. Ultimately, all of this, the one who's going to stand against Christ, comes from Jacob and Esau back in the day. It's all interlinked. So he was an Edomite, he was a puppet king, he had ten wives. Now I want to say something about his family um, he loved his family so much that he had a favorite wife. And what did he do with her? Well, he murdered her. Because he got paranoid that she was against him. No reason to believe this. But she, he, he, he murdered her anyway. Um, not only that, he had 14 kids. Three of his sons he killed. He killed his brother-in-law. He killed his mother-in-law. And he killed his grandfather-in-law. All because they were, in his mind, a threat to his security. He was ruled by insecurity. It drove this man ultimate paranoia. So, now I say all that to say this. When he heard that the king of the Jews had been born, now you understand why he decreed that what should happen. All kids under two years old must be slaughtered. complete nut job, so insecure that the thought of another king, even though he wasn't even really a king, even the thought of another king could be risen up, he said, wipe them all out. This is who this guy was. His friend, Caesar Augustus, which we all know Caesar Augustus, said this about Herod the Great. He said, and I quote, I would rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son. This is the time in which we, Luke is writing this message. And he does this on purpose because he's creating a contrast. Now let's look at the contrast. And in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah. Here we go. Of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blameless. I'm going to say something. That doesn't mean perfect. We're going to see that in just a second. This guy was not perfect. But they were pursuing the Lord. In all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, I said everything that I said about Herod to set up the contrast, which is what Luke's doing. There's Herod the Great, and there is Zechariah and Elizabeth, the nobodies from nowhere. They're hillbillies, okay? So, and when I say hillbilly, I really do mean that. We'll get to this next week. When Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, it says that she went into the hill country. Think, Zechariah is a priest, but a priest is not—it's not a big deal. So, if in your mind a priest is a big deal, it's not a big deal. There were thousands of them. Okay, he was just a—he was a preacher, and not only only that, he—he wasn't like a a big priest preacher. He was in a twenty-five person hillbilly, hick town, almost like he was in the middle of Northport, Alabama, on Larry Lake Road, okay? I mean, he was out there. He wasn't wasn't a big-timer, right? So, but here's the contrast. In this time, you've got Herod the Great, and you've got Zechariah the hillbilly preacher, who was one part of 24 divisions of priests. And so, every year one section of those 24 divisions would go to the temple in Jerusalem. So for two weeks out of the year, one week in the spring, one week in the fall, they would go and they would serve their time, and then they would go back home. And that's how the temple ran itself. So this is who he is. He's a nobody from nowhere just kind of doing mundane things in the middle of um, Jerusalem. And so a couple of things that I think this shows us. Number one is this. It shows us that God is a God who chose a righteous family over a royal family to do his bidding. And that's just like the Lord. Royalty in no way impresses the God of the universe. So with that said, earthly titles, they evaporate so quick, don't they? They come and they go, and and so why do we chase them so much? I need this status, I need this applause, I need this award, I need this whatever. And it means nothing to the God of the universe. Nothing. And so, chasing God's glory is what lasts forever. And this is what makes Zechariah and Elizabeth usable. Not that they were... God could have dropped Jesus in a palace, but he didn't. He ultimately drops him in a manger. And the forerunner, at least the forerunner, could have been dropped in a palace. John the Baptist could have been the prince. Surely then everybody would listen. No. God says, I'm going to use what everybody else calls a nothing and a nobody to accomplish my glory. And so I say that to say this. If you're in this room and you go, I can't be used by God. I'm only a middle class North Portian. God looks at you and says... You have everything that I need to bestow my glory to the world. You are fearfully and wonderfully made and usable just where you are sitting in the seat that you're sitting in. Never doubt how God can use you in your weakness. As a matter of fact, he prefers to use the weak. Why? Because then ultimately he gets the glory. A king does something well and he beats his chest and goes, of course I did it well. A nobody from nowhere is used by God, and amazing things happen. They just bow their head and go, I can't believe anything good ever happened. Praise the Lord that he used me in any way for his glory. So this is the contrast that's going on. And then number two, our God is a God that loves to overcome obstacles. In this case, he's going to use an obscure family who is infertile to bring about the promised plan of redemption for humanity. Verse, uh, my glasses are getting, okay. Um, It starts with a now. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So you remember, we started out with the whole, three, two, one moments in life. Is he gonna miss it? This is it. This is the 3-2-1 moment. This is the big moment for Zechariah. Will he, will he capture it? Will he let it slip? And so what goes on is when they go to the temple, the priests would be offering sacrifice, cutting up the bulls and the lambs and all this kind of stuff. They would be ministering to the people in the outer courts. But there was one task that you had to get picked for. And not just picked by another human, but picked by God. And so they would cast lots. If you don't know what a lot is, think dice. They're rolling dice. Shake them up, shake them up, shake them up, shake them. Roll them in a circle of homies and watch me break them. This is what's going on, all right? So they would roll the dice. And if the lot fell on you, then you got picked. But again, who did you get picked by? God Almighty. This is the biggest moment of his life. Boom, boom. The lot has fallen fallen, on Zechariah. This is it. I've, I've, I got picked. And so a lot of people would go their entire lives as priests and never have the lot fall on them. And so what would happen is if the lot fell on them, then they would go in and there would be the altar of coals and the coals would be on fire. They didn't get to go into the Holy of Holies because that was reserved for who? The high priest, right? So again, he's just a lower priest Only the high priest could go there. But this is as close as they could get. And so in that moment, they would go in with incense, frankincense, and myrrh, and they would drop it on those coals. And as it hit the coals, the smoke would begin to rise. So not only would the smoke rise, but it would also be a beautiful aroma. And this beautiful aroma would remind everybody that, hey, our prayers go up before the Lord when we're trusting in him as a sweet aroma. The Lord is never tired of hearing your prayers. If you're in this room going, I don't know if the Lord wants to hear from me. If you're a child of his, he wants to hear from you. Lobs them up, boom. And that that aroma and that that smoke would go up. And so, he's picked for this moment. And in this moment, you're one shot. (laughs) You're lobbing up prayers on behalf of the entire nation of Israel. But you're also lobbing up your own personal prayers. Again, you're not going to miss this shot. If you had the chance to go into the Holy of Holies before the Lord, you're going to lob up everything you got, right? You're going to to give it your all. And so this is what's going on in this moment. And so the dice is rolled. He's got this highest honor, this most coveted thing. He's this run home and brag to everybody. The lot fell on me today. And, and, And so far, this has been the best day of this brother's year. Let's keep going. Verse 11. John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb." And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Forget the best day of his year. This has now become the best day of this brother's life. The lot has fallen. Will he miss this moment? What a fantastic... There's all kinds of things we see here. I'm going to go ahead and say this. There's so much here. And I am going to unpack as much as I possibly can in the time allowed. And please give me grace. Because I'm going to miss a lot. That's why we have small groups. Kick them suckers back off. Y'all talk about them. Y'all chew through them. Y'all get after it, And as always... I'm always open to you buying me lunch at your favorite restaurant. Be great. And we can talk about all these things. There's a lot going on here. And I'm going to try my best, but I'm telling you ahead, I'm going to miss some stuff. And, and, but I'll try to hit as much as I can. A couple of things that we see. Number one, well, we see this heavenly angel. And we should learn something about angels from this just in terms of application. Angels, oh, listen, listen to me, church. Angels, are not cute and cuddly. They are not bouncing on clouds of toilet paper softness. Right? They they are not. You do not want a hug from an angel. You you get the pictures of angels hugging you. Every single time an angel shows up in the Bible, people T.T. their britches. Okay? Every time. They're not these beautiful... He is freaked out, so we learn a little bit about angels here, as is the case with every time an angel shows up. People get freaked out. Number two, we see the twofold content of Zachariah's prayer. If I've got one shot, I'm asking for the best thing I can. I'm asking, I am, <laughs> y'all know what I'm asking for. I am asking for a mastercraft, Eddie, I sure am. And I don't I'm not asking for 2017. I want the twenty twenty three that is two hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. Lord God Almighty. <laughs> Even the Lord will be like, nah, I ain't doing that. <laughs> right? Yeah. If I'm lobbing up one request, I'm lobbing up the biggest thing I got. Zechariah. Elizabeth are barren. They're advanced in age and they want a son so bad. And in this moment, the angel says, your prayer has been answered. I'm taking your infertility and making you fertile. Prayer number one, we see that. But then we also, in my opinion, see prayer number two. Because if I'm going in and I'm lobbing up my greatest want, I'm asking for a mastercraft, unashamedly. But number two, the biggest want that I've ever wanted is to see and experience genuine revival in the local church context. It's personal want, and the biggest thing I could see for our nation is, is if I, if man, if we could experience revival, like real revival, I'm not talking about bringing the guest speaker and the best, best musician and slapping it on the billboard there. I'm talking about God-moving revival. That would be my prayer. That's his prayer. God, as a priest, there is nothing I would love to see more than for you to revive and restore Israel back into your good pleasure. So he's praying this on behalf of all the people. Lord, restore us. Bring about this. And God answers that prayer. The angel says, hey, prayer number one, your want, son, done. Prayer number two, revival for the nation of Israel, done. And I'm going to do it through your son. Talk about Talk about getting everything you want. I mean, he just said, listen, I'm going to give you a son, and he is gonna be <laughs> he is gonna be Thor and a Hulk and black He's gonna be all of the superpowers combined. This is what you are getting, and he answers this. And so I I bring that up, say this, and we've got to keep going. Don't miss out on the two wonderful points of application in prayer. God always answers prayer. I love Garth Brooks. He's a really bad theologian. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered. There, is, there are no unanswered prayers. There are no unanswered prayers. The answers are yes, no, or maybe later. And in this case, it had been a no, and then a maybe later, but today it became a Yes. do you ever stop praying. God never doesn't answer his people's prayers. So number one, God answers prayers. And then number two, lifelong prayers, they're worth it. They're wor- Your lifelong prayer is worth it. Don't give up. Why? Because yesterday it might have been a no. Today it might have been a, well, maybe But tomorrow it may be your yes. And if the answer is no all the way into eternity, when you open your eyes in eternity, you'll understand why the answer was no. God's always right. God's always listening. Never stop praying for that loved one, for that thing, for that mastercraft. Keep praying. Uh, And then number three, we see how Zachariah's boy is undeniably the sovereign plan of God. And I use that term, Zechariah's boy, because that just, that just what kept going through my head. You know, I've got two, you know, Cole, I, I, I'm like, Cole and Kobe, they're my boys. They're my dogs, you know? And, and so, there, there is no better one than them, other than Macy. But, the, I love to brag on them. I love to. Um, if you talk to me about Kobe, I'm gonna tell you he's the greatest musician that's ever walked the face of this planet, and and, and you'll go, well, no, he's not. And I'm going, with you. Then you're dumb. You're wrong. You know, I I love the and Cole, you know, I, he's. And that, you think I'm gonna talk about athletics, and I'm not. The the dude is brilliant. He's never made a B in his life. And, and if you want to talk about smarts, I'm gonna be like, my son is smarter than your son. And because of his athletic prowess, he can beat your kid up too. Now, I, I, I say that in jest, but I also say that to just point out the point. You, you do the same with your kids. It's my boy. This is my boy. This was Zachariah's boy. This is my boy. And buddy, he's unique. He is a unique brother. He is undeniably, he is way better than my son and your son and all our sons combined. He's trying to tell Theophilus, you got to believe this. And so he's pointing to how great he is. And he says some cool things about Zechariah. Look at this. Let's roll through them real fast. Number one, um, he's got an appointed name. His name is going to be John, meaning that God is gracious. His name is going to be gracious. God is gracious. And not only is he going to be gracious to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but he's going to be gracious to the world through John. His scope... He will bring joy, gladness, and rejoicing to many people, not just Zechariah and Elizabeth. His life is not going to terminate right there in the five square miles of Jerusalem. It's going to be worldwide. He's going to be great, the Bible says. His uniqueness. He will be great before the Lord, which is a slap in the face of who? Remember where we started? Herod the Great. It's a slap right in the face. You want to know greatness, Herod? John will be great right? His consecration. We see this in this Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow, you read the part that said he he shall not drink, he he, um, shall not touch wine, strong drink. You you read all that, right? So I need to say a couple of things about that contextually. Um, So this is a Nazarite vow. It's usually a chosen vow. It's something that somebody takes on themselves. The nation of Israel did not prohibit the drinking of alcohol. Jesus drank alcohol. He was called a glutton and a drunkard, okay? You don't get called that if you don't drink fruit of the vine. And so the Nazarite vow was not only did You not drink wine, but you didn't drink grape juice. And more importantly, you didn't even eat grapes or raisins. This was the vow that they would take on themselves. And it was usually a chosen vow for a season. Being this, if I'm in a season of celebration, I'm going to take this Nazarite vow, thanking the Lord for what he's accomplished, and I'll fast during this time. And I won't do these things. And in this fasting, I'm going to say thank you, Lord, over and over and over for the lifetime of that vow that I took. Or... It could not be celebration, it could be seeking and or petition. So, Lord, I need you to show up, and so I'm fasting, and I will not eat of the fruit of the vine, drink of the fruit of the vine. I'll take this Nazarite vow, and, Lord, I'm begging you to do something. Does that make sense? So it was this Nazarite vow that was a season, either petition or celebrating. And not only would they not do that, but they wouldn't cut their hair. Um, They wouldn't shave their beard. It was this moment, and uh, John the Baptist didn't choose this uniquely, It was chosen for him from his mother's womb. So this dude grew up as a hairy, wild hippie. So if you're thinking <laughs> if you're uh, um, if you're thinking of what he looks like, think of the guy on the side of the road that is screaming uh, with the crazy beard and all this kind of. I think DC Talk, um, uh, man with the tat on his big fat belly, jiggled around like Mama marmalade jelly. You guys remember this song? Um, he was this wild, wild hippie looking dude, um, but unique from birth, and God. Set him apart to be this. He was consecrated in this moment. So, John will be markedly humble and obedient, but he will also be quite the freak show. We'll get into a little more of his life a little bit later, but the point is this the point is, God is saying, you can't make much of Christ and make much of yourself at the same time. And John's going to be different. It's not going to be a season. He's going to be set apart. And he is going to make much of Christ over and over and over for his life. So this is unique about him. And then also, I'd say this, is, this is just me, but I do think it's important to throw these things in there. And I don't say this politically, I say this biblically. I am, and SHC is unashamedly pro-life. Unashamedly. And the reason for that, again, is not political. There are people all over the political spectrum within Safe Haven. And I'm the most awe political person probably in this room. I could care less about politics. But I am pro-life biblically. And this is a fantastic place. Why? Because God placed the Holy Spirit in the womb on a person, not a lump of cells. John the Baptist was personhood in the womb. And we have no right to murder what God calls a person. I think this text screams of this. In the womb, John was formed, John was named, John was chosen, and John was filled by the Spirit of God. I think this is a great place. So here's what I beg of you. If you're there, if, if, you're, if you're pro-life, hey, this is a great place to rejoice that our God has made people in the womb and made people. And then also, if you're like, ah, I'm, just, I'm not there, I'm begging you to consider this passage. Consider God's design of personhood and God's calling, naming, decreeing, and more importantly, filling with the Holy Spirit the person of John in his mother's womb. That's how important this is. The Lord. I think that's a good point of application. And then another one, I, I would say this, and I'm going to be quick here because, man, I, could, I, could, I know some of you are ready for it, and I'm not going to stay on it long, but some of you want me to stay on it long. And we could write a whole book on it long. Um, but John the Baptist did not seek after God, God sought after him. He was in the womb. He, in no way, and so I say that to say, Our brother Luke is reformed. (laughs) He is reformed. And so John the Baptist did not reach an age of accountability. He did not reach a knowledge. He did not walk the aisle. He did not speak in tongues. You know what he did? He existed. That's all this brother did. And so my point is this. God gets the glory and salvation for everybody in this room. He's the one that draws. He drew John from his mother's womb. And so none of us will ever beat our chest going, I sure am glad that I worked my way up to you. Everybody that's saved will bow before the Lord and say, Thank you for opening my eyes to see your grace and mercy. Thank you. So... A couple of comforting thoughts on the sovereignty of God in regeneration. And I know, again, I know, we've got in this room, we've got Arminians in this room. We've got, we've got a Molinist in this room. I won't point him out, but we've got a Molinist in this room. And then we've got a lot of people who are like, what is Arminian and what is Molinist? And where do I hit the exit door? Because what are we talking about? <laughs> Go back to talking about vacation on the beach, Troy, right? Well, we've got people all in this room, but I do want to point out a couple of comforting things, and we'll keep going. Number one is this. Salvific drawing is a work of the Lord whether you are 88, whether you are 48, whether you are 18, whether you are 8, or whether you are 8 weeks old in your mother's womb. You did not wake up and draw yourself to the Lord. He overcame your resistance and opened your eyes to see his majesty. He gets the glory in all salvation. Can God regenerate a child that is aborted, that dies young, or is mentally handicapped and unable to come to a personal response to the grace of Jesus. And I would say, according to this passage, and other, tons of other passages, this is just our passage for the day, absolutely. Not only is he more than capable, Capable of doing that? I would argue that's exactly what he does in those instances. Why? Could he do otherwise? Yes, Madeline. But, but would he do otherwise? And I don't think that fits with his character nature. I think this is systematic in theology. In other words, I'd say this. God can form a baby, name a baby, choose a baby, and fill the baby with the Holy Spirit in a womb, and even if the baby dies, he can then pick that baby up in his hands and be their father. Forget comforting. That is comforting. I just believe that's consistent theologically. And I think all other forms of belief fall short of that systematically in theology. Other people would disagree, but I would say this, again, not only absolutely can God do this, but theologically... There is reformed theology, and then there is wrong theology. So, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, people disagree, but again, I, you got to know, and if you come to Safe Haven, we, we don't hide behind who we are, but we also don't beat people on the brow either, you know, so different people are going to disagree. Dan over here disagrees with me, and that's, that's okay. Um, all joking aside, um, I am reformed because I think it's consistent, um, and, and I think that it is um, systematic. And so this is where this falls in. So if you balk at the word Calvinism, and I do, I balk at the word Calvinism. If you balk at the word Calvinism, then maybe you can just say Lukeism. So um, that's where we're at in the text. And then number five, the uniqueness we see is his calling. His calling is... He will turn hearts to God, He will turn hearts back to families. He will turn hearts to obedience, and he will do this in the power of Elijah, and He will prepare people for the coming of the Lord. This is not flippant verbiage. This is Malachi chapter three. Every Old Testament priest would quote Malachi three in the same way that we quote John three: sixteen. I could say right now, everybody say John 316. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We know this, like we'll all echo that in unison. They would have quoted what this angel just said to John. So when he heard these words, here's what he would have heard. The last book of the Old Testament, before God went straight silent for 400 years, before the New Testament began, the last words that God said is this Behold, in your darkness, I will send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day. Of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. In other words, Zechariah, your boy is the promised forerunner to the King of Kings. What a word! What a word! This brother just won the Powerball, the Mega Millions, the Scratch Off, and the high school lottery all in the same day. <laughs> He got it all. And so this should have been the greatest news Zachariah has ever heard. He prayed for his son, it was answered. He prayed for Israel, and it was answered. So he didn't miss the moment, did he? Yeah, oh, boy. Verse 16. To this great news. Zechariah says to the angel, Well, how should I know this? What? <laughs> what? For I'm an old man. And my wife is advanced in years to which we all collectively scream, No, no, Zachariah, what are you doing? Are you crazy? This moment has come. Why on earth? Zachariah, he had a disease, and his disease was called being a man with a mouth. That was his disease. And every man in here, we all have the exact same disease. Ladies in the room who've got a man next to you, give me the amen. Yes, amen. This is his problem. Um, In the words of Run DMC, why not quote more rappers today? Um, He talked too much. Ha ha, he never shut up. This was, he just kept talking. And I do say that to joke and be fun, but I do like Adidas too. So Um, before we mock him too hard... I wonder if we can identify. I wonder if we can identify. If we think about it, I wonder if we can identify with him. Have you ever been at the point in your prayer life where you you're praying to the Lord out of obedience because you know that's what you should do, but you look around at your circumstances and you go, "I'm praying, God, but there's just no way. Even you can't pull this off." Yeah. Will anybody admit to that? Have you Have you been there? Been at that point? Yeah. He's looking around, and he's going, "God, I prayed, and I know this guy told me that it's going to happen, but I really need some evidence it's going to happen. Why? Because I'm I'm old. My wife is old. She's done hit. She's she's done had the change. She's gone through the change. She's having hot flashes. God, I, there's no way you can." this off. So I I need some form of evidence. In that moment, he began questioning. And in God-honoring prayer, it does not matter who we are. It matters who God is. And he forgot that. He was too focused on the eyes. Get the eyes out of your prayers. But God, I, but God, I, but God, turn your prayers to, but you, you are the God Almighty. You can do this. You can pull this off. You can do this for your glory and focus on him. And Zechariah gets it all messed up. So the angel answers him. He misses the shot right here. And the angel, I'm I'm Gabriel. You need some evidence? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news that you've just turned into non-good news. And behold you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And this is where the theme music goes womp, 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 right? Can you imagine the confused look that the angel Gabriel had to have on his face? I mean, can you imagine this? I mean, he's just sent, he just comes and then Zechariah doesn't believe him. Can you imagine him going, oh, Okay, questions, all right? I didn't know we were going to have a question and answer session, but I've got a question. Um, so let's recap, Zechariah. You've been praying for years. Today, you got picked by God to be in the temple. I was standing bes- beside God. He then sent me to give you this message. I just told you that your wildest dreams are coming true. So Jack- Zachariah, for the love of all that is holy, what part of this divinely sent angelic message do you not wrap your brain around? <laughs> this is what this feels like in this moment. And so what happens is God opens up Elizabeth's womb in grace and she shuts off, uh, he shuts off Zachariah's vocal cords in punishment. And this is so good, church, because don't we so often talk too much and wait and listen too little? We just talk too much rather than listening for the Lord and then just obeying His voice. And so... The, past, the, the verse goes on in just a second before we get to that. How many times a day, I, I do want to say this, I know we've got to keep going. Um, how many times a day does the Holy Spirit, not an angel, tell you to do things? And then we go, but I, but I, but I, but I can't, but I, but I, but I, but I, but I. Praise the Lord he don't mute us, hit the mute button on us like he did Zechariah. But interestingly, and we'll see this next week, Elizabeth even takes a jab at Zechariah. I'll leave this, go read when Elizabeth and Mary get together, even Elizabeth takes a jab at the fact that he didn't believe. And the whole point is so that Theophilus will read this and go, okay, so when I hear this message, I need to be like Mary and believe and not like Zechariah who doesn't believe. I need to believe the word of the Lord. This is what's going on. So God deals with sin as he chooses. And in this case, verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. That is a grand understatement. (laughs) He hadn't seen it. Way more than a vision has occurred. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service ended, he went to his homes. say a couple of things. We'll keep going. Unbelievers. Unbelievers may indeed get off scot-free their entire life and never get punished by the Lord. That's true. So if you wonder, well, why do the unbelievers seem to just have it? All, there's there's no reason for the Lord to punish unbelievers. They don't they don't believe. They may get off scot free their entire life until they die, but not God's saints. Not God's saints. He will not allow His saints to remain in unbelief, and that is His kindness and grace that He draws us back in punishment, in discipline. And so in this moment, he, he loves Zechariah too much to let him doubt his power and glory and purpose. And so church, let's not miss out on the blessings of the Lord because we're disobedient. Let's not miss out. There's so much to be had. As a matter of fact, 1 Samuel says it this way, to obey the Lord is better than sacrifice. And so if you've never heard the voice of the Lord, I'd love to talk to you about that. I'll say three things real fast. For me, this is me. Um, The Lord's voice is never an audible voice. So if you wonder if it's an audible voice, I've never heard the Lord audibly, but I can tell you this, it's louder than audible. It's undeniable. Um, Number two, for everyone, when the Lord speaks, it will never contradict Scripture. If you've heard something that contradicts Scripture, it's not the Lord. Okay? Like the people who say, I'm going to go blow up an abortion clinic because the Lord told me to. No, he did not. That's not the Lord. He will never contradict his scripture. And then number three, he will always point to his own glory, not mine or your glory. If you're hearing from the Lord, it will not be to, to give you glory. Because our Lord's a glory hoarder. He says, I will share my glory with nobody. I'm a jealous God. And so it will always point to his glory. So how does God respond to this wayward child, but a child nonetheless, who missed out on this big moment? And how does he respond to you if you're a believer? who falls down with grace. Grace. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach Among the people. Well now we've got Elizabeth. Who's rejoicing in silence for five months. She is stunned that the Lord has answered two of her prayers. And you go, two of her prayers. Number one. She's rubbing her belly rejoicing over pregnancy. And then number two. She's so glad that Zechariah is now mute. (laughs) She's pumped. (laughs) She's pumped. Thank you Lord. Ladies never stop praying. Never stop praying. Maybe the Lord will hit the mute button on your husband. Julie Beth just screamed, Amen. And she's in the other building over there with the kids. In <laughs> the other building. The world has called this woman a disgraced nobody from nowhere, and the Lord has chosen her as a somebody who's going places. Let's wrap it up. And I do mean that. What happens? Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. If, if you're trekking along, we just hopped a bunch of verses, and so we're taking that on purpose. You can talk to Barb about that, but we're taking these in chunks. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth thematically, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, 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 he shall be called John. And they said to her, well, none of your relatives are called by that name. And they made signs to his father, Zechariah, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. (laughs) And they all wondered and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. And he spoke blessing to God. I bet he did. This brother sang the whole hymnal from back to forward, right? And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Theophilus, believe this. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke by the mouth of his prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our fathers Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered by the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophets of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. What a God. Who can take a wayward guy who missed it, fell off the horse and pick him back up And use him for his glory. Unlike to this point any man had ever been used before. In the shadow of a false king, God was preparing the king of kings. Luke chapter 1, small portion, episode 2. Church, walk away points of application and each of these could be an entire sermon. But I'm not going to do that as the band comes back up. walkaway points of application, I think we see in this text. Make the big moment shots of life. life. Seek the Lord, listen to him, and then just obey him. Obey him even when it sounds crazy. Obey him. Don't miss the blessings of the Lord. Number two, what God calls great is not royalty but righteousness. And ultimately, our righteousness was only achieved by the person and work of Jesus. The question is not, how good are you being? How good of a boy and girl are you being? That's not the question. The question is, are you trusting that Christ's righteousness was sufficient? That's the question. If you're trusting that, then you are righteous. Three, God uses nobodies from nowhere... And that is his specialty. He actually prefers it. Number four, never stop praying, never stop trusting, never stop believing, even if your faith is made sight before your prayer is answered. And ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor, honor to celebrate and announce, hey Shelly, that God has healed Shelly Marchant of the cancer in her body. And we have prayed. And I say that just go talk to Shelly. And if you need somebody to testify, Shelly, are you you willing to testify? Never stop praying. Never stop believing. Never stop trusting. Our God is a powerful God. And even if He says no, keep praying. Keep praying until your faith is made sight. Number five, salvation is wholly the work of the Lord. He'll get the praise. He formed us. He named us. He chose us. He fills us with the Spirit. And yes, if you're in this room and the Lord is calling you, it is your responsibility in your volition to follow him and to repent of your sin and call on his name today. That's on you. Those two are not mutually exclusive. Number six. When saints are imperfect, God is kind to give us both discipline and grace and allows us to get back up, get back up. And then number seven, Jesus is the fulfillment of the messianic prophecy, complete with the fulfillment of the forerunner, John. God's word for the people of God. Let's pray. What a text. Jesus, make much of yourself out of that text.